Hello there and welcome to Thatch and Earth. Your guide to conservation-focused travel. I'm Lawrence. And I am Phoebe. And today we're here to talk about why five animals are better than all the rest. That is right. Today we are chatting about the Big Five, which species make up the Big Five, why people are still convinced that they need to go and find the Big Five in the bush, and why we think there's maybe a little bit more to the bush than just the Big Five. So, to kick things off, Lawrence, what is... What other species of the Big Five? As someone once asked me in a job interview, and I nailed it. Did you nail it? I did, yeah. You didn't get confused between a cheetah and a leopard? No, although one of my very good friends, and if she's listening, she'll know exactly who she is, did in a big presentation. Hectic. Well, <laughs> to, to, to start, the Big Five, as Phoebe says, is exactly as the name suggests, two, five animals. Lion. Or what is it, six? Lion, elephant, rhino, buffalo. Leopard. And do we divide the rhino black and white? Are we now, taking both in the big five? Interesting. To start, to start, the big five is originally based around the five most dangerous animals to hunt. Correct. And it's been going on for a long time. It's very hard to get very specific information as to where this concept originally developed from. But as we know, it's around hunting. Now, the five animals that are dangerous to hunt are the lion, the leopard, the rhino, which is the black rhino, Correct. not the white rhino, yes. buffalo, and elephant. But as of late, rhino has become a lump sum, and mm-hmm. we've kind of put the two together. So mm-hmm. white and black tend to go together now. So it's technically, if you wanted to view it in terms of utter specificity, there we go. It would be six, yeah, not five. Yeah, I definitely think from my experiences in the bush or our experiences in the bush, the black rhino is a lot more dangerous than the white rhino. Oh, those are angry. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I physically watched him attack a helicopter once. (laughs) The helicopter was hovering above it, which was even more interesting to watch. But there you go. Two minutes in and we've already debunked the fact that it's not even the big five, it's the big six. the big six. There you go. So now that we've got that out of the way, Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit more about what the big five is in terms of modern era because i mean it's not just about hunting nowadays. No, it's, no. You, you you hear about it everywhere in the world if you want to go on any kind of safari experience you're going to hear about the big five so what exactly is it nowadays in the context of tourism and why do we have it so i believe that the big five is both the best and the worst marketing strategy in the history of southern african tourism it's went from being the the most difficult species to hunt and all of these species are massively charismatic they are big species to begin with they are fascinating they're unique to southern africa most of them give or take the odd lion and rhino and elephant um but they are they are they are the most incredible species that really make you sort of feel grounded as a human so people have picked up on that and created this whole strategy of come to southern africa and Eastern Africa, come and see the Big Five, tick it off your list, then you've had a true safari experience. And there is just so much wrong with that that I am very, very keen to dig into this. I think the main thing that really gets me is the fact that a lot of people go on their first safari experience without that much knowledge of the species. I mean, the first trip that I ever went on, we were really fortunate in that um, the company that we booked this trip through sent us a, a little guide of all the species. So if you were keen enough, you could read about it. But a lot of people go without doing experience. So they listen to the marketing that a tourism company has given them and the company sells the big five. So then that makes tourists want to go and see the big five, which then that makes lodges 
want to provide their guests with experiences to see the big five. And then it's just a, it's a complete cycle where everyone's buying into this idea of we need to see the big five. It's all about the big five. If I come away from my trip without having seen a lion, then I've wasted my money. And that just does not sit right with how tourism needs to go. There is literally very little conservation inclusion in that. And it, it's really just a case of, it just encourages people to speed around the bush. Oh, there's an elephant over there. Let's go and chase down that elephant. Oh, look, now there's a rhino. Let's go and chase that down. There are positives in that it can make people, it can get people to Southern Africa. It can sort of trigger that, that spark. But it's, it's just ignoring the rest of the wonderful species that we have in this part of the world. For sure. I mean, it definitely brings people in. And there's no mistaking that without having the big five somewhere along the lines, we would probably not have the tourism industry that we have now. And I have to agree with the fact that, you know, you say that it, it, it brings the focal point predominantly on five creatures rather than on the rest that su surround the area. And it is kind of sad because you miss out on so much if you're only focusing on those five. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they're super iconic and it's always a blessing to see any one of them, let alone all five or six. But <laughs> it's, it's worth noting that some of the best creatures out there may not even be on that list. Some of yeah. your favorite creatures may not actually be on that list. I mean, for some, yes, the lion is everything. Yeah. I, I'm not exactly that person, so don't look at me. Nothing against the people who love them, but I, I find lions tend to go a lot lower on my list than a lot of others. But then again, it's also about your education. As you said, I mean, you can only love the things that you know. And if, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a saying that goes around that you can only conserve the things that you know. Yeah, the things that you love. There you and go, exactly. you need to sort of develop a connection with them to love them. And I think you're right. For me, wild dogs are a passion of mine. They are one of my favorite species in the bush. I would give up seeing any of the big five to see wild dogs not only because they are, for me, more interesting, but they are a lot rarer than almost all the species within the big five. And that's something that we don't tend to consider, is that there are species out there, they may not be the biggest or the, the scariest or the best, I don't know, the strongest or whatever an elephant might be, but there are some incredible species which are utterly unique to Southern Africa. Like wild dogs have got something ridiculous, like seven million years of unique evolution to them. And I feel like by focusing just on the big five, we're missing out on incredible species like that. Exactly. But I mean, let's not get too sidetracked too fast, because I mean, obviously you can hear that we're both quite passionate about this topic. And yes, the big five is not the be all and end all, but they are very important. Yes. And make no mistake about that. They are important because they are some, some of them are at the very top of the food chain. Yes. And some of them also provide a lot of different ecological um, ad advantages to the rest of the ecology in the area just because of their presence. And yep. I think it's possibly good to maybe touch on that a bit more. I mean, you'd obviously know a little bit more about it, but what actual role does the big five play in terms of ecology and can we can we use them in some way to help us in, in terms of conservation oh absolutely there's so many different avenues that the big five is beneficial so don't get me wrong i'm not a complete big five hater um it's just the the impression that people are given that these are the only species in the bush i think simply 
by existing in these environments. The big five are so big that they can actually engineer an environment based on their presence. So elephants are, if you've ever seen in the bush, very good at knocking down trees and absolutely destroying trees, which then provides habitat for smaller bird species or insects, or it allows grass species to grow around fallen trees and things like that. There's so much evidence of you take predators out of an ecosystem, how the ecosystem tends to fall apart. It's known as a trophic cascade. So a trophic level uh, is... If you go back to sort of high school biology, it's sort of your food pyramid levels. But of species in the bush, you tend to find your sort of smaller antelope type of species, sort of mid-trophic level. And there's always a carnivore at the top. I mean, you could argue that now humans are right at the top. But if you take out a carnivore, then the antelope don't have any predators. And that means that the antelope just breed like crazy. They graze all the grass. That means that they ruin the vegetation and they ruin the water systems. And essentially, the ecosystem falls apart. So big carnivores like lions, like leopards, are so crucial for environments. No, fair enough. I mean, we obviously need them for us to have a more balanced ecosystem. However, if you're placing too much focus on the big five and only the big five, and you're focusing all your conservation efforts only on the big five, you start getting an imbalance in that system in itself, surely. I mean, if, if I'm focusing only on conserving elephants and I start getting an overpopulation of elephants, what's that going to do to the biodiversity of the area? I mean, they're naturally going to take down a lot of trees because they actually have to consume anywhere between two to 400 kilos of food a day, depending on the area and how nutrient-rich the food is. So if you work that out, you have a herd of 20 or 30 elephants, just that regular-sized herd, or in some areas maybe a bit bigger, but that regular-sized herd is taking out a vast majority of the plant life over a year if it's in a very small area and it's not effectively managed. So as important as they are, for sure, I mean, we need them. If we place too much effort on them, surely we're creating even more of a problem. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point. I've not really thought of it like that. You can actually, if you go to Addo, which is in the Eastern Cape, you can see um, areas that they've fenced off to stop elephants grazing just to see the really severe effect of um, they're, they're grazing because we've put them in fenced environments where they can't can't migrate, can't move, so they just overgraze everything. So it's it's true. Like you overemphasize conservation on one or two species or five in this case, and it has an overall negative effect on the rest of the environment. But then on the other hand, there's something called umbrella species, and in my head, this is probably the best argument for the big five, in that. An umbrella, as we have all used before, protects one from the rain underneath it. An umbrella species in ecology is a species which has such a massive impact on its environment that by conserving that one species, you actually almost accidentally conserve a load of other species which are dependent on, on the single individual or the individual species. So again, take elephants, for example. You conserve elephants, you then conserve the trees, the birds, the dung beetles that go in their dung, you then are able to conserve the whole entire environment. You conserve lions, lions need something to eat. You then conserve the antelope, you conserve the oxpeckers. It, it's all linked. And so maybe the big five has a value in that we focus on those because they are the charismatic species that people want to see. And without telling anyone, we're, we're 
sort of surreptitiously conserving the whole environment. I mean, it's definitely food for thought. But then again, like the first question I'm thinking about is I conserve elephants and I have lots of elephants. How am I affecting the trees? Because, I mean, I personally have had to go and wrap wire around trees for hours and hours on end and go into areas and wrap rocks around different certain parts of trees just so the elephant couldn't get close enough to take them down because we had too many elephants, because we conserved them too much. Yeah. So I I suppose you, you're not wrong, but I, and I'm not saying I'm right either. I think the fact is there's a little bit of a middle ground that has to be fo- focused on in this is although they are really important and they can definitely provide that umbrella effect, like you're saying, it's about effective management and also understanding or at least creating knowledge around the fact that conservation is far greater than just a couple of animals. Conservation is preserving the ecology of an area as yes. a blanket statement. Yes. So if we're focusing on one or two animals, yes, we can get a beneficial, um, we can benefit them a little bit more, but if we're not careful, we can end up overemphasizing some parts and creating drastic effects on others. Yeah. So I, I, as important as they are, for sure, and as important as the umbrella effect is, yes, I think the more effective message that we could be spreading is is that we need to focus on the environment that you're in. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the eventual message of this podcast and of Thatch and Earth as a whole is that it's more about total ecosystem conservation and ecosystem tourism rather than single species tourism. But I think going back to what you were saying about wrapping wire around trees and rocks and all of that, that really just comes down to ecosystem management. And we put fences around protected areas. As soon as you put a fence up, you then have to manage that area for as long as the fence is there because you are affecting wildlife movement. You're affecting how these animals interact with their environment. So you put fences around elephants, they are gonna eat everything in that reserve and you need to manage that. Whether that be translocating elephants, culling, whatever it might be, it, it requires management. But I think that also brings up another point in that are you conserving for tourism or have you got tourism for conservation? The aim should be the latter, but in the case of the big five, sometimes you get the former. True, agree. true. And I mean, one of the best, best examples of that is um, in some of the areas in Kruger where they focus so much on the elephants because elephants are part of Big Five and everybody wants to see them, the elephants start stripping all the bark of knobthorn trees. And before you know it, we've lost quite a few of them. And I mean, for, for most people, they wouldn't really notice that. But for the vultures that nest specifically in those kinds of trees, you go and get rid of that. You're getting rid of their only nesting ground. Yeah. And the reason why they choose those trees in particular is because of the protection and the height that they get. Very, very strong thorns, very, very hardy wood, and the tree gets really tall. So it keeps them away from danger, and that allows that species to thrive. You go and get a bunch of elephants that knock them down, and now what are you doing to the vulture population? That is already dwindling. Yeah. So yeah. there is a knock-on effect, and what whatever you do in one side tends to affect everything else, as I say, a knock-on effect. So it's, it's very difficult. And even if you do have that umbrella species um, or that umbrella concept being worked in here, you still are affecting the the natural way or the natural order of the landscape. And I think that goes as far back as even just putting up the fence to start with. Mm-hmm. But yeah. at this stage, it, we, we've reached a, a, a point where it now has become our responsibility to 
find ways to effectively promote conservation in this area. And if Big Five or the Big Five animals is what gets people on board, it's very important for sure. But the next question is, is how do we get people to engage with more than the Big Five? I think that's the big crux of the safari industry in inverted commas as a whole, in that the Big Five may be in the current state of things the best way to draw people in. Once you get people in that seat, in the game viewer, walking in the bush, once you get them to the bush, you then have an opportunity to change people's minds and to show them just how diverse the areas are, how valuable the areas are just in simply by protecting land and the multi-linked nature of ecosystems. I think the problem then comes when you've got some spectacular areas of land that don't have the big five. They might have three of the big five and then people are less inclined to visit them because they don't have these animals and people are missing out on wonderful, utterly unique environments. Well, I mean, straight up, you can have a great experience in the bush anywhere, provided that you're in nature and mm -hmm. you're really immersed in it. And what I mean by that is if you have a really good guide or you are knowledgeable yourself and you are able to go out with an open mindset and explore, you can have a great experience. You don't even need to see an animal for you to have a good experience. And to to round it back a little bit and just look at some of the creatures within the Big Five, they are the best examples of those animals tend to be outside of a Big Five-centered reserve. If you go to the Kalahari, biggest lions in the world, mm -hmm. or at least one of them, and there's no buffalo, there's no elephant, they are, they're not a Big Five reserve, but they're the biggest lions you can see. They are enormous. And if you've seen a black man lion in the Kalahari, you'll know what I mean. They are they are absolutely majestic. Go into Thule. Thule is known to, I mean, it's literally called the land of the giants. Well, it's one of the nicknames, at least. They have some of the biggest elephants in the world, according to them, at least. And again, there's no big five. Some of the best examples of those animals tend to be when it's not in a big five-centered reserve. And also, when you go to a big five centered reserve, what you find is a lot of the guiding takes a back takes a bit of a back seat. Unless you're in a private five star luxury establishment where the guides are really well trained, because the animals are so abundant, you find that guides become a little bit more I wouldn't say lazy, but they definitely can take a back seat and let the animals do the talking. Whereas in reserves where they don't have those Guides tend to be a little bit more sharp because in order to keep guests involved and to keep them active and wanting more, they have to show them things that aren't necessarily the big five. And that's usually where you get really hooked on the small things in the bush that draw you and bring you back time and time again. I think that's a really good point. But I think that's also coming from someone who's grown up in the bush. I think if you look at a lot of the time safari, again in inverted commas, is a once in a lifetime experience for people. It's extremely expensive to do. Flights are crazy. Getting the time to do it. Like it, it, it's not the kind of thing that many people are fortunate enough to do on an annual basis. And I think this then goes back to the marketing ploy and like it's essentially up to marketers to change this because people are sold the idea of seeing the big five. So then they won't be interested in stopping to look at the, the tree because they've heard on the radio that there's an elephant just down the road and they want to go and see the elephant because the marketing has sold them the idea of seeing the elephant. So it's how do you get people to transition from 
being desperate to tick off the big five because that's what they've been sold and they've paid thousands of pounds for this trip so they're not going to waste it looking at a tree and how do you get them to say okay cool let's stop and look at this tree we'll go and see the ellie later or let's stop and look at the ellie dung on the way to see the ellies because there's dung beetles in there well some of it comes down to guiding again yes I, I, I entirely agree and i mean one of the one of the core principles of a really good guide is the ability to link storytelling and linking are a huge thing in terms of guiding and generally in the bush as a whole storytelling is a big thing and if i show you a broken tree and i say to you this branch has fallen over because of this elephant and this is what the elephant was doing firstly i'm getting you to engage with something that's outside of the big five although it's linking to it you're not i'm talking to you about a tree and we go down the road a bit and then I see a footprint on the ground and I go, well, you see here, here's a scuff mark on the ground. This is the elephant's foot. This is how its foot moves. I'm teaching you tracking. So I'm already done two things that are not part of the big five, that are, that are based around it, but are not actually the big five. Then I start showing you the scat on the ground because, you know, if anyone spent any time in the bush, most guides will end up start to, uh, starting to show you scat. That's just how it is. I think one of, one of our friends said he's getting a doctor, giving out doctorates in pupology or something. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is a real thing. I mean, one of the inside jokes is who, do, who done it? And, you know, that it, it, I'm going to start showing you scat. That's just how it is. And then before you know it, I'm going to start showing you certain grass cuttings and how the animals have been feeding. And you can see how their trunks have been pulling up grass. But I'm also telling you about that grass. So now you've learned four different things. And then I turn the corner and hey presto, there's the elephant that we knew was around the corner. But I've built up a story behind it. I've tried to get you to engage in more than just the elephant. No, and, that's that's really important, I think. And that's when you start noticing guests connect yeah. with the bush a bit more. Because when you start realizing that there's a lot more than what meets the eye in the bush. And that everything is trying to tell you something. That's when you start getting connections. Yeah. And again, it... it it falls onto on the guides and the people who are trying to interpret the bush to their guests for them to really see that there's more than the big five. And I think it's a bravery thing. At the end of the day, like I keep going back to guess, it's not the fault of the guests that they're looking for the big five. They don't know any better. Just like it's not the fault of the guests that they've gone to a lion cub petting facility. They think they're doing a good thing for conservation. I think it takes a really brave guide to say, I'm not going to chase down the big five for you, even though that's being called out on the radio all the time. It takes a really brave person to say, no, let's slow down. Like, I want to teach you. I want to show you how important all the aspects of this environment are, because at the end of the day, guides aren't paid anywhere near enough in their salaries. And I'm not sure if everyone knows, but most guides' salaries, there's almost an expectation that it will be topped up to a living wage based off tips from guests except guests are never told that it's almost mandatory that they have to tip. So guides want to get money, obviously it's their job. And they think the best way to get money is to take their guests to show them what they want to see and what they want to see is the big five because they've been sold that by the marketing companies. And so it takes a really brave guide or one who isn't working sort of hand to mouth to say, I'm going to stop and look at this tree. We might not get to see the big five all in this one game drive. And I think that's exactly the direction that guiding and tourism in Southern Africa needs to go as a whole. But it's still quite a brave move. Definitely. 
And I think the other thing that's worth noting is the really good guys, the, the ones that stand out far above the rest, are the ones that make it look like they're not trying. Because it's really difficult to align to your guests and to make sure that they are connected with you as an individual as well as you're connected with their interests and you are making sure that they're being met. It's very difficult to manage guest expectations, particularly when you start talking in the higher ends, when people do pay two, three thousand dollars a night per person. You know, it's very difficult to manage that expectation. And it, it does take a certain level of bravery to do that. But I also believe that if you are a confident guide and you are able to truly give out an effective message to your guests and to show them and try get them to link those different ideas together, that you can make a big impact and that their attention and their expectations start to shift a little bit and you start getting them to engage in the greater environment. At least that's from my experience. Mm. I mean, I used to have guests come in there and the first thing they said was big five, big five, big five. And by the end of it, I had guests talking to me about stars. I had guests who, who wanted to you know, show me different tracks. I had a group of guests who absolutely hated birding and I was placed with with um, some of the top birders uh, in the world on the same game drive. And I managed to get both of them to see each other's point of view, whereas the birders didn't want to see any big five animals. We ended up spending nearly an hour and a half with the elephant. And then the non-birders turned around and fell in love with birding. And that's, I mean, lucky coincidence, but it's it's part of it. It's, it's about managing your guests' expectations and bringing them to the table and saying, that there is more out there if you're willing to just look a little bit more and being responsible enough to show them that. Yeah. Don't be the big five hunter because if you are the guy who just goes and searches for sighting after sighting after sighting, you're going to lose it all. And as a guest, you're not going to get that much. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think you have a captive audience. When you have guests in your vehicle, they are yours, essentially for the three, four hours, however long your game drive is going to be. And that is your opportunity right there to create conservationists. Most people, as, a, some, as someone who works in conservation, I will tell you that most people who go to the bush don't work in conservation because it's very expensive to go to the bush and conservation salaries don't really pay enough to allow you to go to these luxury lodges. And so you might have people who work more in finance or engineering or whatever it might be. And by really taking advantage of that four hours that you've got people in a vehicle, you can create conservationists that then go home and use the principles that they've learned from this trip to educate their friends or to make changes in how they spend their money and things like that. And to really sort of look past the big five. And once you start that going, that can have a really positive effect. Definitely. And I mean, it's also worth noting that there are a lot of lodges out there who have worked on trying to change that perception already. I mean, there's concepts such as the little five or like the big five of trees. The ugly five. The ugly five. And, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's, very, it's very enlightening to see that people are looking at trying to change the industry like that. But I think what's more important is to showcase what that environment is about and Yes, promotion of the big five is always going to be a factor. But try bring something that your lodge has that's specific to that lodge, that's unique, to the table. I mean, 
at the end of the day, it's all about being unique. In order to get a good selling point, it has to be unique. So don't be afraid of showing something outside of the big five. It could actually end up being the thing that people want to see the most. Yeah, and we go back to Wild Dogs again. I mean, they've had quite a good sort of PR boost in the last few years. But if you are fortunate enough to have a lodge on a reserve that has a frequently visiting pack of wild dogs, that's massive. That's way cooler than a few lions that wander around. And I think it's very much on the lodges. But again, it's bravery. Like, I would be very inclined to go to a lodge if I was on their website and did not see the big five mentioned once. I would be much more keen to go to that lodge than to go to one that's like, come see the big five. You can take off the big five all in one game drive. We've got a massive density of the big five. I don't want to go there. I want to go to the lodge that says, we've got a massive population of honey badgers. Like, that's my dream. I want to live there now. But again, it takes a brave person or it takes someone who knows the bush and who's been there and who's seen the big five, who's sort of gone through that sort of rite of passage to then say, cool, we'll go there. But I think the more people that we get educated about it, the more people that we can te- we can show sort of the holistic value of the bush on their first trip to the bush, the more conservationists will create in the long run. Definitely. And I think it's it's also worth noting that I don't we're not necessarily down talking these animals. They are incredibly special. Two of my favorite animals in the entire world are on the list. So it's it's really important to emphasize the fact that the big five are incredibly characteristic and iconic to the bush. We need them. And they're, they're on South African banknotes. They exactly. are that iconic. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They, they are really iconic. We are at risk of losing them. Yes. And it, it's really important to note that we need that conservation effort. So it's not about dissuading people around the big five and saying, don't waste your time on them. Because, you know, some people really, really enjoy that. Yeah, and, and there's and, nothing and wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think... The main message here is don't limit yourself, though. There, there's a lot more that meets the eye. And I can promise you that any person that we speak to in terms of understanding the bush industry will all say the same thing. Don't just focus on the big five because that's not the only thing out there. But that being said, so it comes down to the lodges to you know showcase that unique ability but it also comes down to the people who are willing to travel and have that luxury afforded to them that they can travel to do a bit more research. Look at what you want to see. And if you really want to see the big five, go for it. But you know, like you say, a honey badger is an incredibly, incredibly special thing to see. I've only ever seen two in my entire <laughs> life in the wild. So, or three, it doesn't matter. It's that rare. I can count it on one hand. And... That's a really, really insane moment when you see that in the bush. That that really gets my blood pumping. And that might be something that people really want to see. They just don't know it exists. And unfortunately, when you go and see any BBC documentary or Nat Geo, although they are changing their focus now, it was always about a cheetah on a kill somewhere in the Maasai and a lion taking down this. And it, it's all it's all about animals doing these amazing things whereas the smaller ones tend to kind of fall down through the woodwork and not really make it out into the into the big bad world and it's really important to look at them 
So if you can, try educate yourself a little bit more on the bush. I mean, ultimately, that's what this is about. We are here to try shed a little bit of light and to educate you a little bit more on things that you may not necessarily have thought about. But there is a plethora of choices and of information out there to learn about the bush in any shape and form. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's all about sort of taking the initiative to educate yourself before you even go on that first trip to the bush. And I think it's also on you. If you get a guide who is so used to people asking for the big five that they don't even ask you what you want to see and they just start chasing down the big five, it's on you to say, hey, I'm, I'm not fast. I'm not going to give you a bigger tip if you find me an elephant. To say, like, actually, I'm really interested in birds or I'm super keen to go find an aardvark. Like, we all are. T like, take the initiative to say that. Sometimes guides don't know. And like we say, their salary is dependent on your tips. So they are trying to please you. And if you say, I'm not after the big five, that might just start a bit of a a role of, okay, maybe guests aren't that interested in that anymore. Maybe guests want to learn. Maybe we're developing sort of a, almost an education tourism rather than I'm going to get a photo of every single one of the big five within the next two hours. Maybe that that's something that needs to develop. I've personally done it. I went to India and the first thing the guys did was speed off trying to find a tiger. And I was like, slow down. I am not going to give you more money. Well, not me, my my family. It's not going to give you more money if you find us a tiger. We want to We want to sort of feel immersed in this environment. Like there are some crazy cool birds in India that I want to see. And if we happen to see a tiger en route, fantastic. If we don't, also fantastic because I've learned about the environment and we've taken it slowly and that, that's been really fantastic. It'll also be a great test to tell how good your guide is. Yes. Because you go and tell your guide that you don't want to see the big five and that's the only thing your guide is good at doing, you'll know straight away. Because your guide won't have anything else to talk about or anything else to show you. And that's the difference between a guide who's able to show you the big five and a great guide. Because yeah. a great guide doesn't need anything major for them to make the bush a beautiful place. And those are the kinds of people that I wish more of you could be exposed to. Yeah. Because those are the kinds of people that make you fall in love with the bush over and over again. I mean... I'm coming up to close to 30 years of experience in the bush, not necessarily consistent experience, but enough to say that I've held my own. And even still, when I spend time around people who have that innate ability to just communicate the messages that the bush is showing you, they can make you fall in love or see a different perspective of the bush entirely and just really, really get yourself involved in it again. And it's such a special place to be. And you don't have to be an experienced person to have that moment. That's, I think, the biggest key here. If you are open and you're willing to try the, these new things and are not just looking for a set amount of expectations, that's when the bush comes alive. If you go there with a completely open mindset and no real expectation, just come what may, the bush really has a lot to show you. So I think that is... That, that's exactly what we should be aiming for. We're not saying the big five is bad. We're just saying that there's so much more. But then, say if you were a lodge, how do you attract guests who just want to see the big five with come and see the holistic, holistic part of the bush? How, think, how do you do that? I think the only way to do that is, and not to sound contradictory here now, but 
to punt the big five. Bring them here when they're here and they're sitting in my vehicle. That's when I have the opportunity to change your mind. Until then, the marketing team must do what they need to do to bring you here. And I mean, if if you're not going to go and do the research and you're not going to go learn about the animals, then what? how else can I entice you to come through? If you don't know anything else there but the big five, how how, how else am I supposed to entice you to come? But when you get here, best... Best make sure that you're going to be strapping on for a long ride and a good lesson from me because I'd, I'd love to show you more. You know, you don't have to focus on it too much. It, it's, it's not the be-all and end-all. But if that's the only thing you know, I, it's a bit of a difficult situation to be in. And that's exactly why lodges are still promoting the Big Five today because it works. Yeah, and I think it's a really key point about the financial value of the Big Five the money that those species bring in is massive. By tourism, through grant donation, people love these species, they're super charismatic. And I think that's something that lodges really have to walk a super fine line of, of do we bring the money in through the big five to then, again, going back to our umbrella species, protect the rest of the species and channel that money into conservation? Or do we say, okay, cool, we're doing something different and we're not going to promote the Big Five. We're going to say, come here because we've got species that you've never even heard of. Honestly, when I started my wild dog research, people in the UK thought I meant feral dogs, not like a unique species in the bush that is one of the greatest hunters of all time, like dogs on the streets. And I was like, no, (laughs) that is not what wild dogs are. And people just don't know. And I think social media and websites are the starting point for most tourists when they're deciding where they want to travel alongside tour operators who don't run lodges, who simply sell lodges. And it's it's about being passionate enough in yourself about the lodge and about the wildlife to be able to sell to tourists the fact that you will see the big five or maybe you'll just see elephants, but you're going to see all of this amazing other stuff too. And you're going to have the most unique experience that will change your life because if you go to the bush you will come out a different person and you will come out a much better and much more rounded person but how you get away from that big five attitude until every single person in the world has been to the bush enough to appreciate that there's more than the big five we're still gonna have to keep fighting this 100 percent. and i think it's also worth noting there's two points on this there are lodges out there that like we say, don't focus on the big five. And they do an incredibly good job at promoting that. Um, and usually those lodges offer activities and things that aren't also centered around what a normal big five lodge would do, such as walking trails or horseback safaris, cycling tours, other ways to explore the bush. And it means that other, these lodges have to be a bit more innovative, but there is amazing innovations in the bush that are coming out. And it's just a matter of time before other places start realizing that it's not just about the big five and that promotion of a natural landscape can be done provided that you find the unique things and push those out. Another good example is Makuleki and the Makuleki Conservancy. Mm-hmm. There are big five there. You can see the big five. There's like one of each. You would be incredibly lucky to see them, but if I wanted to sit there and and claim to you that if you went to uh, Outpost from Rare Earth or Return Africa and you went to either one of those lodges, I could 
say to you that you're in a big five area, but you probably won't see them. And that's really interesting because that, those are two examples where they have the big five, but they don't promote them because they're quite rare to see. What they do promote, though, is the fact that you can go into a landscape that has 75% of the Kruger National Park's biodiversity in 1% of the area, which is mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. If you've never been there, the place is utterly life-changing. You can see bird species you didn't think existed. You can see anatree forests, fever tree forests, pretty much anything from your wildest imagination, what you would define as true wilderness, it has it. And the big five. If you're really lucky, you could see them. But again, it's not something they focused on. And their clientele is a little different. And it tends to actually be the people who are a little bit more adventurous because they've learned that there's more than the big five out there, which is their unique thing. And it's very, very interesting to see because it's promoting that part of the landscape in such a way that conservation taken a bit of a different focus. But there's a great example of, an, of a lodge or an area that has the big five, but is focused on the unique factors that sell that lodge out or that area out. And they've done a different thing in terms of conservation. So as important as the big five is, it depends. It's up to the, the tour, tourism operators and the lodges themselves to make a difference. And it depends on you as the individual on how far you would like to take it, because there is no limit. There is a lodge that will offer you pretty much everything. You want to go hunting, there's a lodge for that. You want to go and learn about the little five, there's a lodge for that. You want to see the biggest lions, there's a lodge for that. A little bit of research can take you a really long way. Yeah, I think it. you're, you're exactly right. It's, it's about how adventurous, weirdly, how adventurous you are as a person if you want to stray away from that big five. I am very much an advocate of go where none of the other tourists go. That's where you'll find the best best part of the wilderness that's where you'll find the most unique experiences because i don't like hanging out with tourists because they ruin it but if it is your first time to southern africa or eastern africa or your first time on a safari and you are desperate to see the big five go and spend three days at one of the massive big five reserves where they will find you the big five in two hours you can tick them all off your list and then Go and spend three days up at a reserve that doesn't say anything about the Big Five. The, a place where birding is the focus or where the landscapes are the focus. And just allow that to shape what you saw at the first place. Because that will then, then you've, you've got what you needed to do. You've done your Big Five stuff. That's fine. And then you've gone deeper. Then you've gone to realize that there is so much more than the Big Five to the bushveld. And conservation as a whole can't continue with just these five species. We need people to learn about the whole environment and how everything is so in intrinsically linked. And that combination of lodges or reserves or whatever it might be, really will just demonstrate to you the utterly unique diversity of where you are. Couldn't agree more. And I think that is the winning formula. If you're the first time, uh, first timer, and you really want to see something new in the bush, get your big five experience and get it out of the way, and go to one of the smaller places and see which experience you enjoy more. You might just be surprised and realize that you probably enjoy the second or the latter. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, definitely. If you want recommendations, hit us up at Thatched Earth on social media or thatchandearth.com. Because we are super happy to give you recommendations of places to go. Like we have 
we've not been everywhere in the bush, but between us, we've we've covered quite a significant amount of Southern Africa. And this is what we're passionate about. Like I absolutely love lodges. If If I could spend the rest of my days visiting lodges, I would be the happiest person in the world. And I must be honest, I absolutely love camping and spending my life in the back of a vehicle. So we've got a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we're super happy to share recommendations. We're super happy to chat about this further because it's, it was a big basis of the start of Thatch and Earth, like that big lion sighting, which if you don't know about, go and check out our first episode of the podcast, started this whole thing. And that to me was the epitome of big five tourism. 100%. Uh, but then we went elsewhere and we didn't even see anything. I think we were looking at a bird and that was also amazing and unique and just a sparking of passion. And that's that. That's what it's all about. And that's why there's so much more to the bushveld than the big five. But if you're really desperate to see them, you can do that too. But just realize that there's so much more. There's definitely more than just the five animals on the top of the list. Believe you me. And that about wraps us up for the day. Um, as Phoebe said before, don't forget to hit us up on our website, www.thatchandearth.com and follow us on Instagram at thatched underscore earth. Same I'm name Lawrence. for Facebook. Same, same name for Facebook. I'm Lawrence. I'm Phoebe. Bye. Peace.